I didn't know uh, Keith and Nick had it in them. Ruthie, thank you for being in between those two and taking care of things. Uh, so good to see everyone uh, here, uh, as well as in our uh, service in uh, uh, the other room, in our fellowship center, as well as our live stream folks uh, from everywhere around the country, actually around the world. So thank you for being with us, and we're uh, excited that you're, uh, you're here with us today. And to read our scripture is... Uh, Sullivan uh, Stokes, come on up, Sullivan. I already know she's a good letter writer. She's a fifth grader at OCS. She loves singing and soccer and uh, being outdoors. And we're glad you're willing to do the scripture for us today, okay? Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you so much, Sullivan. Appreciate you. You know, Paul told Timothy to be committed to the public reading of the word. And so I'm so proud that this church honors that and that we have... Uh, our young people learning uh, to do that and publicly read the Word of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, as we study in the book of Matthew, uh, I have the small assignment to preach the Sermon on the Mount this morning. So buckle up. Uh, but uh, somebody reminded me, said, well, now, Jesus preached it in one sermon. So, you know, uh, well, I'm not him. And... I can't feed 5,000 either, so I, you know, don't come by the house, but we're going to, we're going to make a run at this, uh, scripture and, uh, uh, see what we can, can, uh, can do with it. The, the whole section, I want you to remember the context of Matthew is writing to, uh, basically a Jewish audience and their understanding of the kingdom has been all messed up. And he's correcting their uh, understanding of what it really means to be in the kingdom of God. That it's not about the physical kingdom on earth. It's about the kingdom of God that Jesus is the king of kings of. And so Jesus comes to them and in it, as he corrects their understanding, he also has to correct their understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. Because they had this idea that this was going to be a national movement whenever this Messiah comes. And he says, no, that's not what it's about. Matter of fact, Jesus is going to say, I'm actually, I'm not abolishing this old law. I'm fulfilling this old law. And this king that was prophesied about in the Old Testament, I'm him. And now we have the kingdom of God here. And so how should people live? So as he starts preaching his ministry and doing his ministry, he's healing people. And he, and so crowds automatically start following him, right? Now, as they're following him, that group of people, I want you to understand who those are. In chapter 4, he says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Here's the sermon, right? Preaching the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him um, uh, all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering uh, severe pain, the demon possessed, uh, those having seizures and, and the paralyzed. And he healed them in large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. Now when he saw the crowds, this is the same group of people, right? 
he sees this group of folks. So he goes up on the mountainside. It's kind of, you kind of get this picture almost of, uh, Moses on the mountain bringing the law. Now Jesus is on the mountain bringing the real meaning of the law. And he sat down, which is what a rabbi would do to teach. And the disciples came to him and he began to teach them and this whole crowd saying. And so we're going to get into what he says to them in this sermon. Now the first section in Matthew 5, 1 through 20, it's going to be about the kingdom blessing and fulfillment. So let's kind of take off and grab that section. Now, now, the audience he's speaking to, it's not just this crowd of disease and, and, and people needing help, broken folks in life. And by the way, uh, uh, this, this very first one of when he says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. These folks understood that. The, the poor in spirit were what was called uh, back, uh, uh, back in the Hebrew attached to the anawim. The anawim were the group of people that when a country conquered another country and they took everybody in and took them back for slaves they left the anawim because they were useless they were old diseased crippled and they were no good to even to the enemy didn't even want them you, you remember what that's like right you know you're choosing up teams at the uh, at the ball field and i'll take him and i'll take him and i'll take him and there's one guy left at the end okay i'll take him that's the anawim guy nobody really wants him that's the broken. That's the disease. That's the, the people needing healing. That's the, that's the crowd that's followed Jesus. They're poor and they're poor in spirit because they recognize that uh, I, they need to be totally dependent on somebody else other than themselves. They can't fix what's wrong with them. Now, you have that, that group of broken folks. But then you also have, looking out here and here in this sermon, the Pharisees. Remember them? They're the rule keepers. Now, by the way, we have some of these kind of folks in this, all in our church, by the way. Uh, we have broken people that understand they nothing. And we kind of got some kind of Pharisees type folks. You know how I know that? Because they're, they're, they'll write me because there's more rules they want us to do in church, right? There's not enough rules here. We got to lay things out. And then there's the Sadducees, and what the Sadducees did back then, they would take part of the Scripture, but they really, you know, they might deny some of the miracles of it, the resurrection stuff, but they would take and use part of it, but keep kind of the modern culture going on. That's kind of how they were. we got folks that do that in our culture. They want to keep a little religion, but not really give up kind of what's happening around them. And then there was the Zealots. The Zealots were the nationalists. And you couldn't preach enough on things that you ought to protest and carry a sign and talk to the government. And they, that was the zealots. So you got all this group here. And Jesus tells them, blessed. Now he starts this section of blessedness. He bookends it. The very first one is blessed are the poor in spirit. For what? You're the kind of people I value in the kingdom of God. Now think about that. If everybody in your town is not picking you, even your enemies don't want you, and everybody says, just stay away from them, they're useless, they have no value to us, and Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to tell you what, you, you're valuable to me. This is not about commands, this is about blessings. Matter of fact, you cannot practice the rest of the Sermon on the Mount until you've been blessed by Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's going to end this whole beatitude section on the very folks that look. And when you're persecuted, 
Hey, guess what? Yours is the kingdom of God too. He bookends it with those two things. Now, with that in mind, think about it. Blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, they're not poor just physically. It's not about that. It's poor in spirit. They understand their brokenness. And so that has to be the way we are about our own sinful condition. That, that we are broken people and we can't fix ourselves. And so then, not, but Jesus, blessed are you. I value you. The kingdom belongs to people like you. Not only that, blessed are those, uh, uh, blessed are those who mourn. Not just, not about physical grief. They're going to be comforted. More, what are they mourning over? If I look at the brokenness of my sin, what am I mourning over? I'm mourning over the fact that I've been, that I'm this way before my God. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Now, this isn't, by the way, personality. Sometimes we'll read through that and well, boy, you know, that guy there, he's so mean. This is something about the whole kingdom of God. People who are blessed understand meekness is not weakness. Jesus said he was, it says he was meek and lowly of heart. And yet he was able to give people what? Rest. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That's about desire to do the right thing. Just have a good heart about doing the right thing. Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be what? Show mercy. I love that one. You know why? Because I need mercy. And I'm like the Old Testament guy. I need it every day. His mercies, they're new every morning, and I need them every morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Here, Now think about this. It's not just, this pure is not about purity, just morally. It's not about that. The pure in heart here is about, it's something that clears up your vision. Because look what it says. Your pure in heart, they will what? They see God. Because see, when we're not pure in heart, the impurity pollutes and dilutes our vision and we can't see clearly what we need to. But he says, those, blessed are those that are pure in heart. Then they see clearly who God is. And blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacemakers. For they'll be called sons of God. Boy, isn't that great when somebody recognizes you? There's my son. There's my son. Are you proud to have the name that you have? You're a son of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now look, the persecution, not everybody's persecuted is blessed. Kingdom people are blessed even though they have persecution, but they have it because they're living in the name of Jesus. They have it because of him. So you rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You and I need to take this and understand we are blessed. We are blessed. We are valued. Jesus says, in your brokenness, your sinfulness, your weakness, I'm saying you're valuable. You're the kind of people that belong to the kingdom of God. And finally, all the unworthies of the world that see themselves properly say, wow, I, I belong to somebody. God sees me as valuable. I don't know how you see yourself today, but you need to understand how Jesus sees you. You are valuable to the kingdom. And what are valuable people who, what's that lifestyle like, uh, uh, this kingdom of, of, of being blessed? What happens? 
Well, in that life, once you're blessed and you understand you're blessed by Jesus, then you're able to make an impact on the culture around you. You're salt, he says, and you're light to the world. And we live in a dark world, do you not agree? We need salt and light people who have been blessed by Jesus. Then Jesus said in verse 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. He said, I didn't come to do that. I've come to fulfill them. When you see Jesus, you see the whole fulfillment of everything God has written and laid out and prophesied for the kingdom of God. And he calls us to be like him. Matter of fact, later on he says, I'm going to tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and people say, how can I be more righteous than the Pharisees? He's the most righteous of all. Because, look, he's only keeping outside rules. Jesus is telling them, we're taking this thing to the heart. Here's a word I want you to get. Heart, or two words, heart space. There's an empty space in the heart of the Pharisees. They're doing the outside stuff, but it's not making them righteous. They're really not righteous. So when Jesus says you're going to be more righteous than those guys, it's about the heart inside, filling up that empty space with God and who he is in your life. Matter of fact, that's why your behavior is going to be so different. Look, right conduct always flows from a right relationship with God. You can only do this when you've been blessed by Jesus. Now he gets in to not only do we have the kingdom blessing, we have the kingdom character in Matthew five twenty one through 48. In this, you're going to see over and over again, he's going to say, as it was said in the old, now I'm telling you something new. You've heard it said this way, but I'm going to, re- I'm going to correct your interpretation so you get the real message. Because it's going to be about... An inside job. It's going to be about having that heart space right. So Jesus corrects their view as he goes through six different things that a lot of times they fight and argue over. And and, and the very first one of them, of all things, is murder. He says, you've heard it uh, it said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I'll tell you, look, I'll tell you, don't even get angry. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but did anybody have a fight coming to church today? Some of you did. Some of you, you argued with your wife and you hollered at her and she hollered back. And no, I'll turn that air off. I said, turn it on. And that's the kind of things we fight about, right? And, and uh, this and that. And then all of a sudden you pull up at church, you get out of the park. Well, hi, Brother Smith. Good to see you. He says, look, this ain't about, hey, look, I'm going to tell you how to handle murder. You first start by handling anger. Matter of fact, this whole progression, not only that, you don't call people foolish. You don't call them rakish. You don't say they're stupid. You don't belittle people. When you belittle people, that leads into a progressive thing that all of a sudden, how do you think people end up murdering people? So Jesus says, take this thing down. It's not about that. I want to get fill that empty space in your heart with how to have right relationships. It's kind of sad that in our culture, people who are sarcastic and, in, and are good at insulting others get honored and laughed at and paid to do it. Yet when we belittle people, 
we fail to see the human value of folks. Instead, Jesus says, instead of doing that, what I want you to do is I want you to restore your relationships and do it quickly. Matter of fact, he says in the text, if you've got a problem with a brother, go to him. Don't come off your gift at the altar. Go to him now and solve it. See what he says? He says, you solve that relationship quickly. Jesus elevates reconciliation over worship and says, get things right. Not, not only do you not murder, you don't belittle people. And when you do have a problem with somebody, you take care of it quickly, whether it's your enemy or whether it's your brother. And as a matter of fact, you don't even go to worship till you take care of that problem. Wow. What a challenge. Then he gets on this thing of adultery. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body uh, than for the whole body to go to hell. You know the, the emphasis there, right? He says, uh, the, the, they say just don't commit adultery. He says, no, it's greater than that. It's greater than that. It's an inside problem. Now, he doesn't literally mean gouge your eye out, right? He doesn't literally mean that. If he did, I would be preaching to a bunch of one-eyed lusters in this room right now. Right? I'd have a patch over mine. I'd be the first one. So he says you've got to solve that problem inside the heart. It's not about... Just the physical thing taking place. But he's trying to say you have to take extreme action to make sure that problem doesn't get out of hand. Then he says the same thing about divorce. It's not about what you can or can't do. It's not about deciphering who's right and who's wrong. Remember, the whole problem of this is how do, how do we live in the kingdom? You live as, as people who settle problems quickly. You live as people who understand. By the way, listen, listen, by the way, on this adultery thing. Everybody listening? Love is patient. Lust is not. So young women, the first time that guy says, if you love me, he won't wait. You know it ain't love. It's lust. Love is patient. Lust is not. So it's an inside problem. And we don't divorce because why? Because we understand the power of faithfulness. So we sell our problems quickly. We love with patience and and, and, and we hold our relationships together and we're faithful in doing that. We do what God says to do. Not only that, we keep our word. That's where he gets the next section, by the way. You heard it said not to make an oath, but I'm telling you, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let me just say a word about this one right here for me. I remember a day when when watching my dad do business and if he shook somebody's hand, that settled it. You didn't have to have anything in writing. Nobody was going around suing each other. This kind of world we live in is ridiculous. And sometimes we get caught up in ourselves. Look, if you give your word, you keep your word. Now I'm going to step on our toes just a little bit. You thought I already did, didn't you? Now this is going to hurt some of us, but you know what? If I say I'm going to be somewhere at 9 o'clock, keep your word. 
If we can't keep our word, expect it to keep our word in the little things, then why would people expect us to keep our word in the big? This is lifestyle of kingdom people. And lifestyle of kingdom people is always counterculture to the world. It's always different than the world. The world put up with stuff, but we shouldn't put up with it in ourselves. They'll let us get by with it. Because that's how they live. But we as kingdom people cannot do that. And then he says, don't retaliate. You've heard that it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. By the way, that whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing from the Old Testament was to protect the proper justice taking place. In other words, you didn't overpunish somebody for something small and you didn't underpunish them for something serious. That's where that came from. But he says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I'm going to tell you something different. You don't resist an evil person. What do you mean you don't resist? If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one also. Boy, this is difficult, isn't it? Now, remember, again, it's not literal. Somebody wants to to sue you and take your coat, well, let him have the cloak as well. If somebody says, go with me a mile, which that soldier, by the way, Roman soldier could compel them to do, go with me a mile, and they had to do it, you just go ahead and say, I'm going to tell you why, not only will I do that, I'll carry your stuff two miles. Don't retaliate. Instead, serve. And remember this. Christianity, got it? Ready? Christianity is two miles long. Then he says, what well, to love our enemies. You heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you, Jesus tells them, love your enemies. Really? I mean, love people that persecute me, that, make, that have a hard time. Yeah, love your enemies. We sat around here all the time. We love everybody. Because we've all started out as enemies of the cross. If God didn't love enemies, we wouldn't be here. So who are we not to love enemies? We love everybody. That's the character of kingdom living. Now he gets into kingdom piety or holiness in chapter 6, verse 1 through 18. He lists three things that they counted on as Jews as being doing in front of people to say, I'm holy. First one was giving. And by the way, since we're on giving, I just got to go ahead and say thank you ahead of time for what you're going to give next week to One Kingdom. Uh, and, uh, and, and look, by the way, I like what Kyle Smith says about giving. Uh, uh, you're not making a donation. You're making a difference. I love that. But he says when you give, you don't do it in front of everybody so everybody claps and says how good you are. Look what he says with each one of these, with the giving, with the prayer, and with fasting. All three of these acts that the Jews said, man, that's practicing holiness, but they did it in front of everybody. With each one of them, he says, when you do it, says uh, uh, in, chap- in chapter 6 and verse 4, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Same thing when he, when he says pray, and you go in your closet and pray, and you don't do it out here so everybody can see, then he says the same thing. Your father sees what's done in secret and rewards you. And then when you come to fasting, he says, you don't make a big show of this so everybody knows what you're doing. No, you don't do that. Matter of fact, you make yourself look like people can't even tell you're fasting. And what does he say about that? You, what you do, 
Your Father sees what you do in secret, and He will greatly reward you. Yet kingdom piety and kingdom holiness is not practiced for the praise of men, but for the glory of God. Then he gives some kingdom priority, Matthew six nineteen through 34. What matters most in the kingdom. This is what he's talking about. So he says, you don't store up treasures for yourself. And you don't do that. You don't gather up a bunch of stuff. And we're pretty good stuff gatherers, aren't we? But he says, that's not your goal is to have a bunch of material things. That's not it. Now, he's going to say here that, that where, your, where your treasure is, there what? There your heart will be also. It almost feels backwards, doesn't it? You think, well, Jesus, are you sure you shouldn't have said where your heart is, there your treasure will be? Just kind of stick that one in your hymn box and think about that one. This is where your treasure is, there's your heart will be also. It's because your heart's going to follow your treasure. And he says, when you put up stuff for yourself, that's not having the kingdom being the priority of your life. It's having you be the priority of your life. You can't serve God money, so you're going to have to make a choice here. It's, are you going to be on the, on, the, on the throne here, or are you going to let God reign? Kingdom people keep that priority. Matter of fact, he said, not only do you do that, you don't worry about things. You don't worry about what you eat, drink, or how you look. And look, we worry about that a lot, don't we? Look, look at this verse right here. I kind of got, got tickled when I was reading about this, not worried. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than, uh, are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? Uh, they do not labor or spin, yet, yet I tell you that, uh, uh, that in all, uh, not Solomon in all the splendor uh, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye little face? So do not worry. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you wear, the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows uh, that you need them. But seek First, there's the priority. Seek first. The kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Wow. If I could just learn to trust God and make kingdom business the priority of my life, I wouldn't be caught up in so Now, do you see again how this is so counterculture. This is so opposite of the world. He really turns the lifestyles upside down. We find ourselves sometimes having that tendency to try to live like the world as much as possible and yet still be following Christ. He says, no, you just got to flip that thing upside down. When you follow Christ, you're going to run against the grain of the world. Then he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 12, you have the kingdom challenge and reminder. Here's the challenge. And, and we all have this tendency, by the way, don't we? He says, look, don't be judging your brother. 
Now, I love this verse gets used so out of context so much because you can't make one decision and say that. He's not saying there's not a time to judge and make decisions about writing. It's not about that. He's saying, look, uh, the idea here is in, in this in this relationship you have, the challenge is it's always easier to look at the wrong stuff in somebody else's life, right? It's kind of like I remember, I remember one day I walked out of the back of this auditorium and somebody said, oh, my. I said, Moa, that was a great sermon. I tell you, I wish old Joe was here. He needed that. It's always the other guy that needs it. He said, don't, don't judge your brother. He's got a little bit of speck there in his eye and you're trying to take it out. But you can't see to take it out. Why? Now picture this. Because you got a big old beam coming out of yours. You got a log coming out of your eyes. You can't even turn around and swing without hitting somebody with that thing. And yet you're trying to get something out of somebody else's eye? That's not the character of kingdom people. No, what he says here is he says the kingdom challenge is to be humble. Be humble. Look at your own self first. But be helpful. Look at yourself. Make sure you're right with God. And then be ready to help a brother who does have a problem. Because you actually can help him. But there has to be humility before help can be practiced. And then he says, be holy. Because see, when you need help, where do you go? You ask, you seek, you find, and God provides it. And he knows how to give good gifts to his kids. You don't have to worry about it. He won't mess up. God knows how to take care of that kind of thing in our life. Matter of fact, Jesus even says in that section, when you do this and you treat other people right, you're practicing what normally referred to what? The golden rule. So in verse 12, he says, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You got to have a little echo in your head right now going back to chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to what? Fulfill it. And when you practice right relationships and you treat other people right, you're fulfilling it too. You're being like Jesus, which after all is the whole goal of Christianity anyway. Then this last section, chapter 7, verse 13 through 29, is kingdom choices. Now, he writes this, Jesus does or speaks this as he's doing it in a very traditional Jewish teaching style where he contrasts things. He gives you several twos, two things that contrast each other. The first he gives is two gates, right? There's a wide one and there's a narrow one. And look, most of the people in the world, they're going to go the wide one. It's easy. A lot of people saying, come this way. Say, but kingdom people don't. Kingdom people go the narrow way. And doing it, they find life. You go the broad way, it's destruction. How many turns around and look at the road and say, you know what? There's destruction at the end of that thing, but I think I'll take that anyway. I don't know of anybody, and I've worked with a lot of people over the years, I don't know of anybody in addiction that were sticking needles, that said, my goal in life was just to go down to a path where I, could, I just wanted to stick needles in my arm. I've never found that person yet. Yet, that path of destruction was broad and easy to go to. 
Narrow, broad. He gives you a choice. Kingdom choices. Then he says there's two fruits. And actually these two fruits, there's, there's, the, there's, the, the, there's bad fruit and there's good fruit. Now this bad fruit, he says, it comes in the form of these false prophets. And they sound like they're really good. But they're, they're not very authentic in their life. Matter of fact, he's going to go ahead and say later on, Jesus says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're going to say, Well, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we do good things in your name? And we did miracles. We preached in your name. We did all these things in your name. He's going to say, I never knew who you were. You were bad fruit. You were wolf in sheep's clothing. He said, No. Kingdom people have that heart space filled with Christ. And God is their priority. And when they do that, their actions produce real fruit. And you can recognize it in people's lives. Then he gives them the old two builders. By the way, before I leave that two fruit thing. Because Jesus is telling you to do some stuff here. James, in the book of James, James writes, James says, faith without works is dead. Jesus says, works without faith is dead. We're saved by grace. And once we've been blessed to be kingdom people, we become salt and light. We live different than the world. And we get busy working for God. And are honored to do so. Because he rescued us out of such a mess that we were in. And then he says there's two builders. We all sung the song if you went to Sunday school at all, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built it. And when the rains come, flop, right? The thing just destroyed. So the question becomes for me to ask Mike Kellett and for us to ask each other, really, am I wise or am I foolish? Look what Jesus says in 721. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know what that tells me? The Sermon on the Mount is something you and I can practice. So if you think, Mike, that loving your enemies, that's too hard. That forgiving people when they've committed adultery, that's too difficult. I can't do that. I can't keep my word. I can't live like that. No, yes, you can. Jesus says kingdom people who have been blessed by him can practice the principles in this sermon. Don't you swallow that pill that somebody out there that says, Oh, that's just ideal stuff. Nobody can really do that. Oh, yeah. You can practice it. You can do it. And we don't work in order to be saved. We work because we are saved. We work because we're kingdom people living a kingdom lifestyle that is totally different than how the world lives. Yes, this sermon can be practiced, but it cannot be practiced until you're blessed by God 
and you fill that heart space with the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the grace of God. You are valuable. Even in your worst brokenness, disease, dependence on other people, you're valuable. And Jesus says to the broken people, I want you, the kingdom belongs to you. Are you in the kingdom? Are you broken about your own sinfulness? Are you mourn the brokenness of your life? Are you willing to make him the Lord and let him reign and bless you? So that you can become salt in life and fill that empty space in your heart. That's what our invitation is about. Or maybe you've just gotten away from walking the way Jesus wants. Hey, look, we're all in this thing together. We're all family, right? We'll help you walk the journey. We help each other. I need help. Other people in this room understand they need help. If you have a need today to be baptized into Christ and start your journey, if you have a need today to just regain your zeal for following God and letting Him reign in your life because you kind of let some other things creep into rule, get Him back on top, right? That's what our invitation is for. It's a forever family saying we love you and we'll walk with you. If you have a need, come while we stand and sing.